Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. If you want to see what I did late yesterday morning, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. It was kind of cool. Our church has a and our, our church has been closed because of the the, the the pandemic of course and so that they do online services and stuff but what they did yesterday was so cool they had a drive-through blessing of the pets and so it was at like noon to one and what you do is you you take your pet in this case I'm taking my dog Sasha and you you drive over and the the minister father Jeff He's there, and he lays hay, gives a blessing to the pets. And, and actually, my dog is a blessing to me. But there's a picture of Father Jeff and I at St. Christopher's, and I'm holding Sasha, and she got blessed. So she's got that going for her, which was good because she was she was in a rambunctious mood last night. So she must have felt emboldened knowing that she had been blessed earlier that day. But uh, if you want to check it out, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 kind of a little bit of a little bit of a diversion from some of the stuff that we typically put out there on on tweets with all the stuff going on. Okay, a lot of ground to cover today. Let's get started. As I frequently say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they aren't out to get you. And I, I think that that pretty much applies to the last well, four years of, of the Trump ad- administration. There, there, there's no question in my mind that President Trump um, has has this you know paranoia and this obsession with the coverage that he gets in the media, and as a result of that, you know he, he ends up I, I think bringing on even worse stuff because he he challenges the media, he gets in their face, and then of course they they respond uh, accordingly. But again, just because he's paranoid about him doesn't mean that they're really out to get him. And I think that they're you know I think it's fair to say mainstream media in this country is in fact out to get President Trump, but but he gives them ammunition on different things. Now the story at the end of last week was of course President Trump announcing that he had tested positive for COVID-19. And then there was all this talk about, oh, are we going to have to invoke the 25th Amendment? The 25th Amendment is the the procedure under which the president no longer serves and you turn over power to the vice president, et cetera, et cetera. Now, th- those sort of conversations. And then there was one conversation after another essentially saying, OK, th- this is going to be a fatal situation for him. And, of course, the, the truth of the matter, and I say this without downplaying the significance of, of the coronavirus. Nobody wants to get sick, okay? But the truth of the matter is the vast majority of people, the overwhelming majority of people who come down with COVID recover. I mean, they, they, they don't feel good. Some feel worse than others, but the vast majority of people recover. But nevertheless, there was one story after another. Oh, President Trump, he's in this high, he, you know, he, he's ob- obese and he's got, you know, this condition and he's 73 years old. And it was almost like we were writing the obituaries. And I'm thinking, you know, we, we really kind of need to dial that back a, a little bit. That, that overreaction, I don't think was helping anybody. Now, having said that, the president's team, I, I don't think helped him by sending, you know, mixed messages on on the, these different things. And uh, like some of the president's doctors were suggesting that some treatments weren't being done when in fact they were. I, I think this lack of clarity 
again played into this narrative of, of what is the Trump administration trying to hide. And then, of course, you had the questions that were out there, including people saying, well, you know, why why is he getting this particular therapy and why is he getting that particular therapy? When the obvious answer to me is he's the president of the United States. And and yes, they're they're giving him everything. Yes, they're 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 doing all these different things. And maybe for the ordinary patient, they just let it run its course. But for the president of the United States, you're you're doing everything that you possibly can. And it, just by simply saying that, I think most people would would acknowledge it. But you've had all this all this speculation. Oh my gosh, is the president going to die? Oh my gosh, is the president going to be incapacitated? Oh my gosh, you know what? What is the situation? Why can't we get anything honest about that? And and I. I do think while part of this was media hysteria, another part of it was, again, mixed messages being sent by different people in the administration. And then last night we have we have the motorcade. Um, I think if you were watching on television, you saw this um, President Trump, who, who's been at Walter Reed Hospital in the presidential suite, which makes perfect sense. People, why did they take him to the hospital? Well, they, they took him to the hospital again because there's a presidential suite in the hospital. He is the president of the United States. And you would think that for any ailment, you know, if he's going to be getting treatment, it's better to take him to the hospital than it would be to leave him at home. And and maybe if he was an ordinary citizen, he wouldn't be going to the hospital. But he's not an ordinary citizen. He's the president of the United States. But in any event, the the story last night, you probably saw it, is that Sunday night, there's all these supporters that are out there, you know, chanting and, you know, get well wishes and we love you and those types of things. And the president decides that he is going to go out of the hospital and he's going to get into a motorcade and they're going to drive around and they're going to acknowledge the um, they're going to acknowledge all the supporters that are out there. Well, here's the way, of course, USA Today presents it. And this is perhaps one of the more charitable things. I'll get to The Washington Post and The New York Times in a bit. Doctors, critics, and other Twitter users reacted after President Donald Trump ventured outside Walter Reed Hospital Sunday night to wave at supporters, calling the move reckless and saying he endangered the Secret Service members riding in the vehicle with him. Dr. James Phillips, an attending physician at Walter Reed, tweeted that everybody in the vehicle with Trump should be quarantined for 14 days. They might get sick. They may die for political theater commanded by Trump to put their lives at risk for theater. This is insanity. Um, Let's see. That presidential SUV is not only bulletproof, but hermetically sealed against chemical attack. The risk of COVID-19 transmission inside is as high as it gets outside of medical procedures. The irresponsibility is astounding. My thoughts are with the Secret Service forced to play. All right. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the president have left the hospital for this brief motorcade tour? Did he unnecessarily put lives of Secret Service agents at risk? Was it bad optics? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think... My take on this is I think a lot of the negative reaction is is overblown. Oh, my gosh, this is a death sentence for these agents. I, you know, dial that back. At the same time, it's bad optics. And I think if I were the president, I would have I would have just stayed put. 855-616-1620. Should the president have left the hospital yesterday for this 
sort of motorcade tour to acknowledge supporters, my answer is, I just think he should have stayed put. He should have followed the medical advice, which is, you know, until you're released from the hospital, you don't interact with people. You don't go out in public. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I Look, I, I'm reading some of this hysterical stuff. Oh, he's signed a death warrant for these Secret Service agents and things like that, to which I'm like, okay, let's... The, the chances are the Secret Service detail that was around him, to the extent that he was infectious, that they probably interacted with him already. So, I mean, let, let's let, let's kind of dial all that back. But having said that, that you know, the, the advice is that for people who have tested positive, you, you quarantine, you isolate yourself. And I guess I just having, I'm having trouble understanding the point uh, of getting into leaving the hospital, getting into the SUV and doing what was a, a photo op. If I were the president, there's still all sorts of ways you could have communicated. Uh, again, you can, you, you could do, you could even do a nationally televised conference, you know, speech if you wanted to do it. You've got social media. He didn't need to leave the hospital, did he? 855-616-1620. Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joe. Yes, I believe uh, what he did was, um, it's who he is. He's a showman. He's playing to his base. He drew out a lot of negativity from the left um, media resources. So um, it's Trump. Uh, would would <laughs> you thought he may have done that? Or would you thought he should have done that? Had he not, I probably would say no. But the fact that he did it, it that's him. It's right, and he's and he's not going to change. How do you think this this plays though? For for most people, do they look at it and say, "Oh, it it's just it's just Trump. This is what you expect," or do they look at it and say, "What's the guy thinking?" I think more or less it's um, it's just Trump. Yeah. Um, because if there was any real chance of any of those, I guess the people that are around him are pretty much of the same ilk and um they're not going to be worried about getting it and as you said he when he if he if he was spreading it he'd already done it yeah um the picture i saw he was wearing a mask yeah he was Uh, they were all wearing masks in the vehicle yeah they were all wearing masks yep and that's that's what they'd say they were wearing masks now thanks for call i guess i i just i look at this and and see i on the one hand, like I was saying earlier, I understand that there are, are people out there who are saying, well, what, what, why did they give him this? Or why did they give him oxygen? Or why did they give him this particular thing? My guess is he's the president of the United States. They're going to give him everything they've got available. You know, it's why not? You know, why wouldn't you do that? And, and yes, my guess is he probably got a lot more attention and a lot more different things that were offered to him than would typically be offered, say, to, you know, the, the average person outside an emergency situation. Situation. But I get that. He's the president of the United States. So I, I get that there's some degree of special treatment. However, the advice, the standard advice is if anybody has COVID, you're, you're, you're not supposed to be out in public. And I understand it was a controlled sort of situation. But I guess my point is to, to go out and do what he did yesterday. You, you, you have a li- really tiny little bit of gain. You acknowledge the supporters. I understand that. But to me, you leave yourself open for all this criticism saying, look, we tell everybody else to do this. Uh, we tell everybody else to zig and you decide to zag. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hey, excellent show as usual. Thank you, sir. Uh, 
uh, you, 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 you're answering the, the, the whistle as normal. Listen, you know, it, it, when you're supposed to stay in the house when you're sick, you're supposed to stay in the house in, as far as the quarantine goes. But what the president did at, yesterday, it, it, he just keeps shooting himself in the foot. I mean, we're, we're, you're looking at the optics of you're leaving yeah. the hospital, you're under quarantine, you're sick, you unplug everything. I'm just being facetious when I say that. Now you have to establish a security team to actually get this guy in the limo, right? And, right. and actually, you know, the security team to, to, to drive him down wherever he went to and wave into the crowd and then bring him back to the hospital. And then you have further exposure of your security team and staff uh, yeah. to go back into your hospital room or what have you. What does that tell the American people? How do you go against your doctor's orders and unplug everything, go home for a little bit, and then come back to the hospital? What kind of joke is this? And this is what Trump, see, if he loses the election, it's on this nonsense what he just did there. You don't do a play like that. It has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. You do not do a play like that with a pandemic. And I'm sure you wouldn't have unplugged yourself just to wave to everybody, and you could have did a Zoom meeting just to say, I got to wave to my base. They know who you are. Why would you do something so stupid? Well, I, Marcus, I mean, see, I, I think what you're saying is, is fair because, I mean, here's the deal. Try it. No, look, I understand we are not the president of the United States, but imagine a situation where your neighbor has tested positive, just within the last 48 hours, has tested, was taken to the hospital and is tested positive for COVID-19. And all of a sudden you see your neighbor has been brought back to the house, has decided to leave the hospital temporarily because they want to, I don't know, drive through the neighborhood or, or wave at people. You'd be going, wait a minute, because you're supposed to be in the hospital. You're supposed to be quarantined and look and i understand it's your neighbor it's not the president of the united states but this again it's the optics to me that are kind of questionable now here's a text jeff why isn't the media upset over the marine one pilot and crew who flew him to the hospital they were exposed too but but see that that's to me that's different that was a necessary trip president of the united states tests positive for covid19 they think he's better suited to be treated at Walter Reed in the presidential suite than he is at the White House. Well, sure, you're going to transport him there. That's like that's like saying, okay, well, you know, what what about the ambulance drivers who took somebody from their house to the hospital? That that's part of their job. What makes this an issue is the fact that it was it was unnecessary. I mean, it was in, in some respects it kind of reminds me of the let's walk across Lafayette Square um, during the the rioting and, and let's let's go and stand outside that church. That whatever the motives of this were, the optics ended up looking bad. Now, again, I'm not going down this yellow brick road of all the people out there saying, oh, now all these Secret Service agents are going to die and things like that. I mean, come on, you you need to dial it back if you're going to have credibility with that. But at the same time, I I think this I, I think this was. I, bad optics. Jeff, I thought this could have been a turning point as, so to speak, of the virus as a problem and get Americans to see that he has seen the light and is taking things seriously. I believe that he lost some tweener votes. Lead by example, I believe that this was a blown opportunity. Um, Jeff, people watch their leader, in this case, the President of the United States, and follow his lead. What he does, many people believe, if it's good for him, it is good enough for them. That's why I think this is um, going to be an issue. Um, Jeff, is this any different than Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done without a mask when California was on lockdown? Well, 
Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done um, at a store that was supposed to be closed, that that was a story. Now, in the same vein, if Nancy Pelosi had tested positive for COVID-19 and mask or not, was going out to stores, I guarantee you that that would be a story as as well. So I guess the bottom line is you just you just wonder if there's advisors there saying, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you kind of need this to need it to dial it down. Uh, Jeff, I'm an undecided voter here. I couldn't care less. I wish more time was spent talking about policy on both sides. And again, I think that that's I think that that's a fair comment that maybe we get too obsessed over the optics of the stuff. But again, if the standard advice to people is going to be, this is how you test positive, this is what you want. I have a uh, text here, somebody saying, hey, my my kid uh, is a 10-year-old and he's being quarantined now because he was exposed to somebody who, you know, had COVID, didn't even tested positive for COVID, and the rules are you keep him inside the house. You know, you don't have him going out and about, and the point of the texter was, you know, if if it if this is the rule for the ten year old kid, why should that be rule be different for anyone else? Is is this the biggest scandal of the day? No, but again, it's it's another one of these conversations we have because you know, candidly, I, I think that the president missed an opportunity here for not really that much gain. I mean, a couple of the stories like in the Washington Post and New York Times say, bottom line is President Trump is feeling better, which is good news. President Trump was bored being in the hospital, and President Trump wanted to do something. Well, okay, I understand all all that. But at the same time, I don't know, sometimes if the rules apply to the little people, maybe you should follow those rules when it applies to you. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you have or had contracted COVID-19, does that mean that you're irresponsible and a bad person? And and, and I ask that because the the pandemic is is clearly spreading. More and more people are catching it. Here's the the latest numbers. And, of course, they, they change every day. But so far in Wisconsin... Um, since the start of the pandemic, 132,663 people, and again, that, that's from yesterday, I think. There's probably more today, have, have in fact tested positive. That, that translates into, in a population of 5.8 million, that translates into about 2% of the population of Wisconsin has tested positive for COVID-19. A little bit north of 2%. Um, of, of that 2%, the overwhelming majority, 100 of 107,000, that would be 81% of the people who tested positive have recovered. 18.3% um, are active, which means they haven't died, and it means that, but their their symptoms haven't cleared up, or it hasn't been 30 days. So that that's that, th- those are the numbers that are there, and and they are increasing number of people. 100 of uh, 1,377 deaths. That, that's there. I would have said a month ago. If I was doing this topic on the air and you would have asked me, do I know anybody who had COVID? My answer would be no, I, I don't. I can't say that now because I have to tell you, um, I, I know lots of people um, who have come down with this. And these aren't, thankfully, these aren't people that I've been around in the you know recent time when, when they had it. But yeah, it's, oh, did you hear so-and-so? Well, so-and-so's got COVID. Did you hear so-and-so? They, they've got COVID. So these aren't people I've seen, so I'm not worried about that direct exposure. But it's people that 
I, I know who, who've come down with it. Now, thankfully, all the people that I know who have come down with it have either recovered or one of my friends was saying, I said, what, what's it like? And she said to me, said, uh, it's, it's not bad at all. My symptoms are very, very light. I've had worse hangovers. <laughs> and I said, I'm sure you have. Um, but but the, the bottom line is, like I say, most people are going to recover. But as this spreads, more and more people are catching it. Now, here's what I find to be interesting about this. I think we're, we're almost assuming and it's, we've kind of gotten this way with the, the mask discussion and things like that. We are assuming that if if you got COVID, if you got COVID-19, you you had to do something that was irresponsible. You you had to be, I don't know, running to the, to the kegger with 300 other people. You had to be ignoring mask rules and all those types of things. And so therefore, you, you must bear some responsibility for this. I will tell you this, of the people that I know who have contracted it, that's the farthest things from the truth. I mean, the the people I know who've gotten it, in general, I think are extremely responsible people. You know, they they take the mask stuff seriously. They're not going into the large groups. They're not running into the bars. They are, in many cases, they're just not sure exactly where they, they even got it, you know, where they were exposed to somebody who had it. But it's not like they're doing stuff which is necessarily irresponsible. But yet I'm looking at more and more of this commentary out there suggesting that if, if you if you get COVID, it must be because you did something bad. You you didn't follow the different protocols, whereas if if you come down with a cold or you come down with the flu, and I know COVID's different than the flu and a cold, but you know, we, we don't say, gee, it's your fault you got the cold. We don't say it's your fault you got the flu. We recognize that it, it's a virus and it's prevalent and, you know, the, the, you know, there, there's a chance that you're going to contract it. So 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I'll be curious if you are somebody that, that's had COVID or, you know, know people that have had, is it fair to say that for the people who got it, they must have been doing something wrong? They must have not been taking this seriously. They not, must not have been social distancing. They must not have been, you know, wearing the masks properly. They must not have been washing their hands. And, and I guess maybe in some cases that that's true. I mean, look, I'm not going to have any sympathy, sympathy for... You know, the college kid that, that runs out and is part of the 300 people at, at the kegger on a Thursday night where you've got some super spreaders. But in general, the people I know who've contracted this I think they've been pretty responsible. It's just that they ended up getting sick. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you to blame or are the people that you know in your life who've come down with COVID, are, are they to blame or are these people just taking precautions, reasonable precautions, but people get sick? That would be my take on this. People get sick. Now, I understand, again, some people doing irresponsible things, but I think by and large, a lot of the people, they're trying to do the right thing, and you never know when you could be exposed. 855-616-1620, if you get it, should you, are you at fault? We're back to discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
Here's a text. Jeff, I think all it takes is one lapse in correctly wearing a mask or in particular touching your face or even to adjust your mask without first sanitizing your hands. COVID-19 spreads exceptionally easily compared to many other viruses, so it's not that hard to get infected unless you isolate yourself like a hermit. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm saying the, the people that I know who, who have COVID, who thankfully are, are have had mild cases or everybody's recovering or that, they're, they're not irresponsible people what they are is they're people in many cases that they don't even know where it was that they got it but were they going out and about and living their lives yes they, they weren't like hiding in people's base in their basements and things like that but I, I guess just some of the commentary out now there suggests that okay if you've got COVID you should somehow be ashamed of yourself well we don't we don't tell people they should be ashamed of themselves if they have a cancer diagnosis we don't tell people oh you got the flu well you should be ashamed of yourself you obviously did something wrong oh you got a cold you obviously did something wrong. Now, I grant it, there are people who behave in an irresponsible fashion, and maybe they they spread that on. But it's almost like, you know, you're getting the idea for some of the the people who've tested positive for COVID. Others think that they should be walking around wearing a scarlet letter or something. Billy in Muskego. Billy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, You know what? I, I don't think the person that gets it can be blamed at all or held liable, really, because... Um, just for an example, my wife's a nurse in one of the large facilities in Milwaukee, and she's getting calls every couple of days that uh, one of her patients she saw last week or two weeks ago has contracted it. That's not her fault. She brings it home. I got it. It's going to be too late. Right. Think about all the police that come into contact with people. It's not traceable. There's no evidence to support that. So you can't really take a blame or blame any individual person contracting it at all. Well, well, right. I mean, exactly, because you can do all the, the right things. You can follow the protocols, and you, you can still run into somebody. You, you can be eating at a restaurant. You can be socially distanced or whatever, and still there might be something in the air. You can run into somebody who's asymptomatic. You can be doing all those things. And even if you're wearing a, a mask, that's not a guarantee that you're not going to get it. And I'm not anti-mask. That's not the point. It's just I, I, I'm getting this idea, and I'm looking at this tone of stuff. Well, these people who got sick somehow did something to deserve it. And I just reject that. I don't think that's the case at all. Maybe some did, but a lot of people were going about their lives. They were being responsible, and they still got sick. To your point, even touching a door handle, I could wear a mask all day, but if I don't use sanitizer after I touch that door handle, then what? Right, exactly. Well, that, right. And, and again, you, you try to be, you know, you, you, you try to be cautious i mean i i have a i think i have a thing a hand sanitizer in the car so on my way into work today i stop off and i had to put gas in the car so i mean after i touch the gas pump i you know i'm, I'm using the hand sanitizer and things like that you know you're, you're you're trying and and you're trying to be responsible at the same time you're trying to balance things out now if you know if if i'm socially distanced and i'm outside in a beer garden for example i'm I'm not going to be wearing a mask. I, I'm, I'm not, but I'm, as long as I'm socially distant and trying to do those things. Now, does that mean I, I, I am I irresponsible if I get sick? No, I, I don't think so. Am I kind of limiting my, my social groups and things like that? Yeah, I, I, I am. Am I in a bubble? No, but there is this degree of risk. And I guess I just don't think we should be looking at people who get sick and saying, oh, well, you must have done something wrong. Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Tom. Um, hi. Yeah, I, um, my wife had COVID-19 for three and a half months and was quite sick, and now she's recovered. And 
I know exactly, of course, the date that she got it. She got it on April 7th. And the way that she got it, I mean, this is the thing. It's, it's beyond a doubt, it's caused by people not wearing masks. And anyway, the way she got it, I'm quite sure, is on April 3rd, I went to a grocery store, and I was wearing a mask. And there was a man that was not wearing a mask, and he sneezed. Mm-hmm. And I looked into it afterwards, and the sneeze can go 25 feet because mm-hmm. this is an aerosol. And, th- and this is really not, you know, this topic you just brought up with touching. It's really not spread with touching unless, like this guy sneezed, for example, unless I went, this mm-hmm. is at a grocery store, too, which is really disgusting. I mean, he didn't even try to cover up. He was just walking mm-hmm. right through five feet away from me. Now, I was wearing a mask on April 3rd, so that's six months ago. So this whole thing about that, oh, Fauci said way back when, don't wear a mask, wear it, that's just all. A bunch of bull. I mean, and the deal with the president, his whole family just went to the debate, and they refused to wear a mask now, six months later. I mean, mm-hmm. here I am. I live in Berlin, you know, enough to wear one. So what, what happened anyway, explain the situation. My wife wasn't even with me. So you're right. People are not guilty necessarily. Yeah. Some are. If they, go to, if they go to a big social event, like a bar, and and I, I used to go to bars a lot and enjoy it and whatever. So right now, there's a pandemic. People are dying. It's not necessary. Um, but anyway, that's a different story. But so anyway, I was at the grocery store, the guy sneezed. So I got home, my wife's at home and they brought the food home, which was stupid, but I'm sure it wasn't spread by touching. Anyway, they've done research on that. It's not spread with food or but whatever. The, but the bottom line and, is anyway, you brought it home. You think you infected your wife and then. Yeah. Yeah. But, because we had to explain that what happened is on Sunday, my nose is runny mm-hmm. and never is. And that's one of the symptoms Monday it was. And 80% of the time, you know, within five days of the incident and we self quarantine, we didn't really go anywhere. And then on, like, the gym was locked closed as it was. Anyway, then all of a sudden on Tuesday, so that's the fourth day, and 80% of the people get sick within five days, right. she became very sick. And she had the sore throat and yeah. coughing and a little fever and all that stuff and became sick. So, so really the whole issue is these people that refuse to wear a mask. And it's well, again, I say, Tom, I want to stop. Right, and I, I don't, I, we, 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 I'm kind of bored with the whole mask conversation one way or, or the other. I, I, I understand. And I, I agree. I mean, my, my take on this is, you know, what, why, why not? I don't think it's that much of an imposition and, you know, what, what, why not do that? But I guess the bottom line is more and more, and this is what the point I was trying to make, more and more people out there are saying, oh, well, these people are now testing positive for COVID. So that means that they had to be behaving in this irresponsible fashion. And, and the answer is no. I don't think that that's the case at all that it's it's not that situation at all it's in some cases you know maybe people are behaving irresponsibly but i think in a lot of cases you you can you can be doing all the things that you're supposed to do and what you find is that hey you you've just contracted it our last caller tom was talking about how he thinks he was exposed to at the grocery store and he brings it home and through no fault of his you know for nobody's fault then his wife ends up getting it. it. It's those situations that I think are, that are out there. And, and it's why somebody's making this point in one of our texts about how it's a form. I think we're, we're starting to get into this area where it's almost a form of victim shaming in a way that, okay, you've, you've gotten COVID. So you must have obviously done something wrong. No, not, not necessarily, you know, not, not necessarily at all. It's why we just have to, I think, have some perspective on all of this and figure out how we're going to get through it. Nobody wants to get this. But the last thing I think most people who get it need to have happen is that the rest of the people looking down their noses on it saying, well, you must have done something wrong. No, that's not necessarily the case.
This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. We are excited to announce our contest winner for Rebuilding Wisconsin Business with Associated Bank. Remember, we were talking about that for several weeks. Businesses needed to write a 300-word essay that showcased how they embody being rooted in the Midwest, how they connect with the small business community, and how they support the local community. Got our winner. Congratulations to Black Husky Brewing Company in River West, the winner of our $50,000 advertising campaign. Head to Rebuilding Wisconsin, head to RebuildingWIBusiness.com to check out businesses who entered so we can continue to support local and rebuild Wisconsin business together. Now, I was excited about that because I met the guys at Black Husky Brewing, the, it, was a, it was a husband and wife, and as I recall, back before they had a Milwaukee presence, they were located, I want to say it was Marinette, and um, the, the reason they call it Black Husky Brewing is because it's named after, like, their Black Huskies, and they, they had this this beer, they called it Spruce Juice, or something like that, Spruce, Black Husky Spruce, and, and the Spruce, actually, it came from, like, spruce trees in their backyard, so I remember... I remember finding out about this brewery a couple years ago when what they would do is they would bottle in a couple days and like on Thursday or something, the owner would drive down and distribute some of their various varieties to, you know, area bars. And I I thought it, it was it was great. High alcohol, tasty, very, very good. Um, and then ultimately they decided, I think, to completely relocate. Now they've got the facility in River West. But I'm a big fan of Black Husky Brewing and a number of their products. Grew is it's spruce, right? That's what they that's that's their like the signature beer, right? Yeah, I actually went there on Friday and had one of those. It was great. okay, right? Yeah, it's it's and it's you know it's 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 quite good. And then they had a couple different ones, uh, a couple different uh, varieties and all. But just a, a wonderful, wonderful brewery. You can check out all the businesses again. It's uh, go to our website, which has all of them up there. RebuildingWIBusiness.com. And congratulations to Black Husky Brewing Company. One final thought on the the, the pandemic issue, and, and this is the challenge. As we move into the the fall, um, for whatever reason, Wisconsin, Wisconsin is is one of the hotbeds of the country, and I and candidly, I don't think it's all because oh people are taking their message from President Trump and stuff like that. I, I just I don't believe that. I, I think in general, what is going on is I think in this state we have what I'm calling pandemic fatigue, and I think that there there's people who just are deciding that they want to live their own lives and they're just frustrated they don't want to be confined indoors they want to return to normalcy whatever normalcy is going to be and so as a result they're they're going out maybe they're being more risky than they should be but the bottom line is i think even if you take appropriate precautions you're, you're if you're out in public there's still always that chance that you're going to get exposed so i think what's really driving these numbers is, is pandemic fatigue now that's not to say that people don't need to be extremely careful about this because you don't want to see the hospitals get overwhelmed or anything like that but you know collectively we have big challenges over the course of the next several months and, and that's why we really, I think, have to all be in this together. And it, it all comes down to try to do smart stuff. And if you're running 102 fever, you know, don't go to work. If your kid's running 102 fever and hacking up a lung, don't send your child to school. And maybe the sooner we start doing that stuff, the sooner we get through all this. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. There is a hearing this afternoon, 3 o'clock this afternoon, in St. Croix County Circuit Court. It's on the legality of the governor's mask mandate. And again, I, I... I keep trying to make this point to people, and and there's a number of different issues. This lawsuit is not about whether or not people should wear masks or not. The lawsuit is not about whether or not, even if there's not a mask mandate in place, is it a good idea for you to do it. It's not about even if there's not a statewide mask mandate in place, should businesses still decide to have their own restrictions. That's not what the lawsuit is about. The lawsuit is about whether or not this governor or any governor has the power to issue these emergency orders and keep them in effect essentially forever. See, and I, I keep trying to explain this, and I, and, and I know some people just get lost into this. Well, if you don't think the governor should do it, you're just this anti-mask guy who wants everybody to die. No, the, the law in Wisconsin is really, really, really clear. Any governor, whether it's Scott Walker or Tony Evers or Tommy Thompson or Jim Doyle, has limited powers. You can declare an emergency. And you can declare, in the case of these health emergencies, you can declare orders that, you know, run from the date you declare the the emergency. So does the governor have the authority to issue a mask mandate? Yes, he does. But the law is also extremely clear that we don't have kings. We don't have queens. We don't have dictators. We have, you know, separate branches of government. So the governor has, in my opinion, under the law, the ability to issue as part of like his health emergency thing, a statewide mask mandate. But the law is also clear. His authority ends after 60 days. It's because it's an emergency thing. In that 60 days, what has to happen if that order or any other orders are going to be continued, the legislature has to come into place and the legislature has to act on it. And then the governor can sign it. So in this particular situation, it's a whole nother issue. The legislature has not come back into session and the, go- the legislature has not ratified the governor's mask mandate. So the governor faced with the fact that the legislature wouldn't act, the governor has just unilaterally decided to extend it. I'm going to keep run. I'm going to add it for another 60 days. My belief is he doesn't have the legal authority to do that. And again, it has nothing to do with the wisdom of, of whether or not people should wear masks. It has nothing to do with whether or not the legislature is at fault for not coming back into session and formally adopting the mask mandate. My point is the law, I think, is crystal clear that the governor his order only runs for 60 days, and after that 60 days, things revert back to normal unless the legislature acts. And that's what this, this hearing is about this afternoon. It's in St. Croix County Circuit Court. But regardless, let's understand ourselves, regardless of what decision the, the judge, the, the circuit court judge comes down with, it's going to quickly go up through the appellate court and to the state Supreme Court, so they'll decide one way or the other. In addition, the statewide mask mandate, this has nothing to do with the arguments about whether or not local health departments have the authority to issue mask mandates either. So even if 
for example, the Supreme Court were to strike down the governor's authority to issue a statewide mask mandate that lasts more than 60 days, uh, the city of Milwaukee still has its own authority to issue some of its requirements, which is why the city of Milwaukee has a mask mandate that extends to people, you know, walking around outside. So people are asking me, you know, what do I think is going to happen with the mask mandate? I, I don't know. You can go broke trying to pre- predict what courts are going to do. But there's a legal issue that is there that I understand that people don't want to see and don't want to focus on because it's all, oh, everybody should have to wear masks all the time or, you know, nobody should wear masks any of the time. This isn't really, this lawsuit doesn't address that. It simply addresses what is the authority of a governor to issue emergency orders. And it's why everybody should be careful about this because, look, I I don't care where you are in the mask mandate. Maybe you think Tony Evers is the greatest governor around. Maybe you think he's just absolutely awful. But understand, these decisions, they they play out because Tony Evers isn't going to be the governor forever. And and maybe the next governor is going to be Governor Rebecca Clayfish or maybe it's going to be Governor Scott Walker again or whatever. I don't know. And, And maybe that governor will then use his or her emergency powers to do something that you don't agree with. And then they're going to want to continue it forever. Okay, I'm just saying that's why we have laws and it's why we have laws that matter. And it shouldn't, the laws should apply regardless of whether there's a Democrat in the state house, whether or not there's a Republican in the state house. Because again, sometimes people, you use end up being, um, you know, hoisted upon your own petard is the phrase where you go, okay, well, I think this is a great idea because it's my guy doing it, but then the next guy's in power and you don't like it when he does something or she does something similar. All right, let us have a controversial conversation. Explain to me how President Trump can be reelected. Now, I and I, I mean, I'm see, I'm a do-the-math guy, and whenever I launch into this topic, I in these discussions, I always have to say, I I did not see him winning in 2016. I thought Hillary Clinton was going to to win. 2016, in my opinion, though, was a different dynamic than than 2020. In 2016, President Trump was the outsider. Hillary Clinton was the insider. There were a lot of people who just didn't like Hillary Clinton, including a lot of Democrats. Plus, I think she ran a, a crummy campaign. She did not excite voters. And then President Trump came along. He had his message about draining the swamp. Um, he had that, that cachet from being the reality TV star. He had the Trump reputation. This is a guy who can take care of stuff. He was the outsider. He was the unknown candidate. That's now kind of flipped around. Four years later, he's he's known to pretty much everybody, and pretty much everybody has an opinion one way or the other. As I have said before, I think if it were not for coronavirus, I think President Trump would have been reelected, and I think he would have been reelected overwhelmingly because typically people vote the pocketbook and the economy was doing really, really well. Now, you might want to say, oh, Trump doesn't deserve credit for that. Don't want to go down that route. Bottom line was economy was doing really, really well. I understand there were people who found his personality to be off-putting, didn't like his chaos theory, you know, um, again, had all sorts of issues. But nevertheless, you know, economy doing well, you got your job, things are good. All right, then COVID-19 comes in. The economy craters. You're looking at unemployment. All of a sudden, like one out of every five people lose their jobs. You've got all these ongoing problems. And 
Um, most people, I think, feel that President Trump did not handle the pandemic correctly. I've said I'm not exactly sure what it was that he could have done differently other than being more empathetic that would have really not gotten us. Would we have been in a different place if he had done more stuff? Some people think so. But the bottom line is this is a worldwide problem. And you're seeing huge outbreaks in Europe again, too. I mean, it's not gone away. But regardless, the pandemic has hurt President Trump. You had the debate last week, which was, I think, I think it is fair to say in the eyes of most people, it was a debacle for the president. It just it just was. So I'm looking at the polls and I understand the polls missed it last year. But the numbers, if you are a Trump supporter, are flat out ugly. After the debate, there's now uh, the new Wall Street Journal NBC News poll finds Trump behind by 14 points, 53 to 39 percent among registered voters. Um, That was a poll taken after the debate, but before the announcement that President Trump has tested positive for COVID-19, which has taken him off the campaign trail. I'm looking at the the different state by state uh, polls. And they're, they're starting to be a, a consistency in states that the president won before that he absolutely needs to win again. Well, he's behind um, new poll out um, in Arizona has him down by eight points. Poll out in Pennsylvania has him down by seven points. Poll in Florida has him down by five points. Um, another Pennsylvania poll has him down by seven points. The Wisconsin polls show him down by seven points or so. So you have all these different polls that are out there, states that the president won before that he absolutely has to win again, and and he's not winning in any of them. Now, maybe... Maybe there can be a game changer, but a lot of us thought that if there was going to be a major game changer, it would have come during the first debate. That didn't happen. You've got now he's contracted COVID-19, which it's difficult to see how that can turn into a plus. So here we are, you know, a few weeks away from the election. Lots of people are already voting. All right. Is this election over? Is there a way that President Trump pulls this out and wins? And if so, what what is it? Is it that these polls are all wrong and that there's this huge silent majority out there who doesn't talk to pollsters, um, who, who's not being represented by the mainstream media who are going to turn out and vote for President Trump? Is this election over? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, I don't think it's over, but I do think, I, I don't know if I was a betting guy, and I am, um, I, I don't think the odds are good. Okay, tell me what's going to happen a month from now and why. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before we go to the calls, a couple uh, texts. I think it will be over a one hundred point electoral college vote loss for Trump. Have a feeling that there will be no question who the winner is. Well, if if these polls are true, yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, it's the the 
when, when you lose big states like California and New York, what you have to do is you have to, as a Republican, you got to figure out, you know, where where are the votes going to come from? And of course, the must carry states are places that President Trump carried before: Florida, and Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and Ohio, and certainly Arizona. You take away Arizona, you take away Pennsylvania, you take away Michigan, you take away Florida. It becomes more difficult to see what the path is uh, to voting. Jeff, I don't think it's over. Trump will win. Enough people see Joe Biden for his radical positions. Uh, Jeff, I think since most of the voter president's voters plan to turn out in person, while most of Biden's voters are already voting by mail, that on November 3rd, Trump will have an apparent margin of victory. But as mailed votes finally get tabulated in subsequent days, Biden will win. Um, but perhaps only after a drawn out court drama. Jeff, at this time, 2016, it was the same doom and gloom. What has he done in four years? Um, it shows upside down the world is. Um, let's see. Okay, let's go on. Uh, what's it? Jeff, how are you going to face the public for being wrong for a second presidential election? How are you going to explain that? I, well, I, I don't. First of all, I haven't made a prediction yet, but I am saying I think if the election were held today, I think the president loses. That that's that's it. Now we're we're not there yet, but how do you face the public for being wrong for a second presidential election? No problem, because I'm going to open the microphone regardless of what happens at twelve noon on that Wednesday, and we will discuss that. And if it turns out. If it turns out whatever prediction I end up making was wrong, I have no problem acknowledging that. All right, let's talk to Ryan in Wisconsin Dells. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, you know, my my look at this is I, I too, don't see where the votes, how he gets the, the votes. Um, it was razor thin in 2016. I think that had the Comey thing not come out against Hillary, that he not come out on TV when he did late in the process, it was so thin. I think that flipped it then, and I just don't see where he's gaining ground or where he can gain any momentum from what he had in 16. I just think he loses swing voters. And to be honest with you, I, I think this ends in a landslide and it, and it goes against him this time. Well, I mean, thank, thanks for call. If if you look at these poll numbers, that that's sort of where we're leading now. Now, I'm not predicting that. And again, I mean, here's a, I, I will give you a text that is representative of some of the several we're getting. Jeff, I think the biggest X factor is a guy like me, conservative, didn't vote for Trump in 16. Now I'm happy with many policy decisions. I will be voting for him this time, but I'm quiet with my support. How many people like that are out there, right? That's the that's, I mean, that is the question, whether there is this silent majority. Jeff, you know how Trump gets reelected the same way he won in 2016. The majority is silent and will prevail. Um, Jeff, I think he's going to do better in this election based on the fact that everything he ran on in 2016, he can now say that he's kept all his promises. Okay, I got to stop for a second there because I keep remembering this build the wall. But all right, um, he has a track record now. I think he will win by a landslide, and that's why I think you're going to see all those ballots coming in day by day, taking away the lead. I think that's why they want the mail-in voting and things like that. I again, I I'm not making a prediction, but I'm I'm just looking at this dynamic that that is out there, and I I think 
you got to understand, it is 2016 is different than 2020. It's a different dynamic that's there. And things, the last six months in particular, have, in my opinion, not broken the way of the president. That's just kind of the reality there. You, you have, I mean, COVID-19. So we're not talking about the economy necessarily. We're talking about the pandemic. We are talking about how the public perceives his response to that. How has the public perceived the economic response to that? And, and so in that respect, Joe Biden is now kind of the outsider. In addition to that, you still have the sort of committed people who never recognize President Trump as being legitimate. Has he expanded his base past 2016 or has he turned off a lot of particularly female voters who gave him the benefit of the doubt in 2016 because they didn't like Hillary? The, those those are the things that he's battling. Gianni and Montello, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Yes, hello, Jeff. I, I believe you asked um, what it would take for, for Biden to lose the election. Yeah. Um, given both, and, I, and this goes both ways, but I, I think if there were a significant illness um, or malady or a stroke or a heart attack I, in each of the candidates, that that might throw the election the other way. And God forbid that that would happen. Um, but, you know, they are up there in age. And um, so, you know, I, I think that that would probably do it. Okay, well, okay, but let me me ask you a question. Okay, so let us say President Trump is released from the hospital in the next couple days. He he gets over this um, with relatively mild symptoms. He's back out on the campaign trail two weeks from now. So there's no there's no suggestion that there's a long term health issue. That that's the scenario. Okay, in that case, who wins, Trump or Biden? Um, I I think um, Jeff. I don't think. The illness hurts Trump. Um, I, I think, assuming the scenario you presented, that that's, that that goes to his favor. Um, but but Biden, um, you know, he is a little older, and if if he were to have a, a stroke um, or, or heart attack, you know, maybe on the, on the well, campaign trail, it's it's got to be it's got to be arduous work. Well, no, th- okay. Well, thanks for calling, Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't. I mean, yes, if, 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 if one candidate or another suddenly is, is physically disabled, can, can that, can that, right, right, by some major medical malady, can that, can, can that influence things? Yeah, but I mean, you, you can't plan for, for those type of things. I'm just saying, and, and again, I understand I'm getting a lot of texts from people who say, you know, that the Trump support is very, very hardcore. It's very, very deep. It is not picked up in the polls. And, and maybe, you will be proven to be right. I'm just saying right now, if you were a betting guy or a betting gal at this point in time before the election, um, President Trump needs something to turn this around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. For people keeping track at home, the president has just tweeted out that he will be leaving Walter Reed Hospital this evening at Grew 6.30. That would be 6.30 East Coast time, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm assuming East Coast. Okay, so he, he's announced that he is leaving the hospital. We presume it is 5.30 our time to go back to the, the White House. So t- take that for what it's worth. And like we say, we're, we're told that there may be a press conference or a, a news conference involving the president's doctors coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. If we, we will try to dip into that as well. But that's where you have it. Okay. We, we were talking about uh, elections and, and predictions and polls, and I know there's a lot of people who just don't want to believe the polls or choose not to, and I understand where that comes from because 
Polling certainly has taken a black eye over the course of the last several years, and they've gotten it wrong. At, at the same time, I guess I just look at this stuff, and I, when I see this consistency, and I, I see one candidate, regardless of what the race is, way behind in the polls, it, it tells me that you know if, if every poll is showing the same thing, it tells me that there, there's probably something that you have to pay attention to. But when we were doing that segment, I, I got a couple got a couple texts. I want to share these with you. And I, my question, of course, was explain to me why these polls are wrong and, and why President Trump, who is way behind in all of these key states and nationwide, why he wins. And I, I, here, here's a couple. Uh, Jeff, drive around. Count the lawn signs. It's going to be Trump by a landslide. Jeff, I just returned home from work, um, long road trip in western Wisconsin along the Mississippi River. I would say it was 100 to 1 Trump signs to Biden signs for the entire Wisconsin portion of the trip. So the argument is you're driving around. I see a lot more Biden Biden signs than Trump signs. I see a lot more Trump signs than Biden signs. I see a lot more Walker signs than Ever signs. I see a lot more Ever signs than Walker signs. That means because there's these yard signs out there, that means that the person that I see, the candidate that I see all the yard signs for, they are more likely to win. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I... I'm sorry, this, this kind of makes my head explode because, in my opinion, the single most unreliable indicator of, of how an election is going to turn out is how many yard signs you see in a particular area. You know, if you drive through Washington County or Waukesha County, you'll see a lot of Trump signs. If you drive anywhere in Dane County, you're going to see a ton of Biden signs that are going to be out there. It's very, very specific as to where you you are. And because you don't travel all over, it's very difficult for anybody to get an impression of, okay, what, what does it look like over the course of the entire electoral map? On top of that, and I just, I'm going to throw this out there. I swear, I have never, ever, ever voted for a candidate because my neighbor had a yard sign supporting that candidate up there. Now, I do confess, when I used to live in my older house, there was a old house, there was a guy who lived down the block, and in races, like local races, where there was, I, I had no idea who was running, like for, like some obscure little, like school board or whatever, I had no interest, idea who was running, and if my neighbor had a yard sign supporting Lewis, and Lewis was running against Frankie, and my neighbor had a yard sign supporting Lewis, that told me to vote Frankie. So it was kind of a, a contra-indicator there. But, you know, yard signs are – why do candidates do yard signs? They do yard signs because it's a way to embolden and, and engage your supporters. You know, it, it's, it's great. If somebody cares enough to want to take one of those yard signs and put it in their front yard, that's a great way of letting them get involved in the campaign and express their support. But do, do yard signs really change people's opinions? Are yard signs really an indicator? And my 
experience? And my answer would be absolutely not. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are, are, is your vote ever really influenced by a, by a yard sign? And is it a reliable indicator that in your neighborhood that might be a, a Democratic bastion, that you see, gee, there, there's almost no Trump signs. It's all Biden signs. That means Biden's got to win. Or if you live in an area where there's nothing but Republicans around, I mean, I would hope if you're in Washington County or Ozaki County or Washington County, if you're driving around, given what we know is the makeup of the electorate there, I'm not surprised to see 10 to 1, you know, Trump signs, 100 to 1 Trump signs. I, I wouldn't be surprised with that, but that doesn't mean that Trump is going to win. 855-616-1620. All right, yard signs. And for those of you who have them in your yard, I understand you want them there because you're involved, you're passionate, you want to show the world who you support. That That's great. But is it an indicator of who's going to win? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, my observation on signs is that in rural areas where I live, Trump signs are everywhere. Go into cities where the poly, po, where the population numbers are. That clearly is not the case. Uh, Jeff, I hope the guy didn't count the Trump sign I put in my sister-in-law's lawn, who is a staunch Democrat. Um, yes, Jeff, from Cedarburg to the farthest north, 95% Trump signs, 5% Biden, 50% Evers and idiot signs. I travel the state every day. Okay, well, that's that's fine. Jeff, as a reference point, in 2016, I saw virtually no Trump yard signs. Yeah, because they probably made the decision that they didn't want to spend the money on the yard signs. Yard signs are extremely expensive, and that's why, I mean, candidates constantly ask, you know, what what's the payback on this? Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And please understand, I'm not dissing you. If you've got a yard sign up in your in your yard, that that's great. I mean, show your support for your candidate. Get involved. Let your neighbors know who you support. My only point is, if you're trying to predict who's going to win an election, uh, doing it by the limited number of yard signs that you see in the area that you drive through. Very, very bad indicator. All right, we discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mark calling us from Florida. Hi, Mark. Hey, Jeff. Um, a, a bunch of yard signs up and down my neighborhood and my surrounding area and maybe even my part of the state. Um, if I saw a ton of them for one candidate, probably wouldn't convince me to vote for that candidate. But if I saw that big a turnout for the candidate I wasn't going to vote for, it might dissuade me from voting for my candidate who's opposing him. Why is that? Because it's just basically psychological. Man, everything mm-hmm. I'm seeing yeah. says my candidate can't win. Right. Right. Even though it really doesn't. Right. I, I understand. Right. It's that psychological effect. Gee, my guy's going to my guy or gal, my candidate's going to lose. So why bother? Because there's all these yard signs out there, even though those yard signs might not be an accurate indicator. They could in, in some sort of weird way suppress the vote for the one who doesn't have the yard signs up there. And and Jeff and Jeff, to add, um, I've watched because I'm in Florida now, but I spent my entire life minus the military up in Wisconsin. There were huge rallies for President Trump on the Wolf River just several weeks ago. 
Um, thousands, literally thousands of people turned out on boats, turned out along the shoreline, along the Wolf River, which is one of the biggest rivers in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Down here in Florida, we are seeing huge boat rallies on both coasts, both the Atlantic side and the Pacific side. And these are positive indicators, Des. Jeff, these are literally, I could send you the pictures, there's mm-hmm. literally thousands of boats out there, each with two or three people on them, rallying for this candidate. And that that seems to be a very positive indicator as well. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I have not made my election prediction yet. I, I'm just saying I do think if the election were held today, President Trump is is behind. But the election isn't held today. Yard signs, 855-616-1620. I just, I, they are expensive. And, and I understand that whenever people want to put on their pundit hat, I always get to say, well, this guy is going to win or that guy is going to win or that gal is going to win or that gal is going to lose because the other side has all these, these yard signs. I always remember there was, oh, I was trying to think during the break of the candidate, but there was, there, there was a candidate who was running for local sheriff. And I, I, I want to say it was Waukesha County a couple of elections ago. And, and it was the, the, the candidate had a ton of yard signs that were, were out. And people were saying, Jeff, you're missing this election. This is the guy that's going to win because everywhere we drive, and I think it was Waukesha, everywhere we drive, there's all these yard signs. The guy got 20, 23% of the vote. I mean, he was, he was very good, spent a lot of money on yard signs and got people to put him out there. But, you know, that that wasn't enough to carry the day. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, I couldn't agree with you more about yard signs being no indication of the outcome of a race. And as evidence, I want to point out five years ago or four years ago when Mayor Tom Barrett ran against Bob Donovan, there there were as many, if not more, Bob Donovan signs in my Milwaukee neighborhood. So when I went for my morning walk every day, I'd say to myself, gee, Tom's going to have a tough race on his hands. Yeah. What happened, Tom Barrett won with 70% of the vote. Right, right, exactly, because, I mean, and again, I'm not da- I'm not dissing yard signs. I understand why candidates do it. It gets people involved. It gets the show. It's a way for a voter to, you know, show that they support a candidate. But as far as influencing voters, no. Now, now maybe I guess in the city of Milwaukee, if you saw, I don't know, 400,000 yard signs that said Bob Donovan, it might be an indicator, but that wasn't that. You you, you saw a bunch in the, the, the mile area of your walk, <laughs> right? <laughs> No, no. Th- thanks for call. I, I I appreciate it. And it's just and again, I, I always I'm look. I'm a big believer in retail politics. I mean, I, I I think I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out and have yard signs. I'm not saying you shouldn't have that support. But to me, it's also when we have these inevitable stories like we do about all the people that are stealing yard signs, and I I just don't even go down that route because it happens every election and it happens on both sides. And it's kind of like really. I mean, grow up. Your your neighbor's got a Trump sign in the yard. So you're going to steal that, and then they get another one, then you're going to steal that. That makes you feel good about yourself. Or the same thing, they got a Biden sign, you're stealing that. You just want to say, are, are we all collectively a bunch of third graders, for goodness sakes? Just kind of get over that. But what makes those conversations be particularly bizarre is the fact that, all right, just because your neighbor's got a, a Trump yard sign or a Biden yard sign, it, it's really, other than expressing their support for that candidate, it, it's really not going to make one whit of difference to the overall election just saying but put the yard signs out there that's the way of showing your support okay here's something interesting i'm looking at the president's tweet and we, we said that the president announced that he's going to be leaving uh walter reed today at it'll be 5 30 our time here's here's the president's tweet 
I will be leaving the Great Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m. Feeling really good, exclamation point. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed, under the Trump administration, some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Hmm. Now, let me read through the lines on, on that. That's, that is the president making lemonade out of lemons. That is the president saying, don't worry about COVID. I got it. They've given me the treatments. I feel better now than I did 20 years ago. Don't let it dominate your life. Don't be afraid of it. Hmm. That may be the new talking point. Now, how that plays out, I don't know. But it may, in fact, be the new talking point that's out there. Him saying, hey, I got these treatments. I'm better. It's over. We've developed these great drugs and knowledge. I'm better now than I was 20 years ago. Huh. I don't know whether people, again, are going to buy that. But it does. Maybe that's the way that uh, the president has decided to take the reports that he contracted this and people around him have contracted it. And, and maybe that's going to be the tone. Nothing to see here. Take it from me. I've had it. I'm better. Again, don't know how that's going to work. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We've got a lot more coming up on the show. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilsett, do you remember Anthony Weiner? Oh, yeah. Okay, Anthony Weiner was the New York congressman mm-hmm. yep. married to Huma Aberdeen, who yep. was very close with, through the close aid of Hillary Clinton. And, and, um, Weiner was kind of an, an, uh, an up-and-coming star in the New York political cycle, circle and stuff, and he ended up resigning from Congress in disgrace because he got caught sexting. He mm-hmm. was, like, taking pictures of his junk and then sending yep. them off and, and things like that, and that became public. So then he, he leaves in disgrace. Then he runs for New York mayor, mayor of New York City before de Blasio won, and he's actually, the, the campaign is starting to get some steam and stuff, and people are, you know, it's New York. They're figuring, oh, what, what the heck? Okay, so he's learned his lesson and all. So the campaign is starting to pick up a little bit of traction, and then all it turns out, he's still, yep. he's, he's doing, doing the doing same again, yeah. thing uh, again. And, you know, and ultimately, you know, the, his wife ended up leaving him stuff. But it was like, what what were the what were you thinking? And it's like, OK, you did it the first time. What were you thinking? But then you're, you're back and you're still, you know, doing this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Do, do people not learn from that? Which brings me. Have you heard about, you know, who Cal Cunningham is? Ah, uh, why uh, does that name ring well, a bell? Well, Cal Cunningham is OK. North Carolina. The, the the U.S. Senate seat is held by a guy named Tom Tillis, and he's viewed as Tillis, North Carolina is kind of a swing state, and Tillis is viewed as one of the more vulnerable Republic, Republican members of the U.S. Senate that's up this year. Matter of fact, uh, Cunningham has been leading in some okay. of the polls, okay? Cunningham, former state legislator, he's um, an Iraqi war veteran, married, couple kids, you know, that that's the whole background and stuff. Okay, well, it... <laughs> So Friday, the news breaks that Cunningham has a wiener problem. Oh, he, he's he, he's got some girlfriend where they're describing as a paramour who's like a pub, works for a public relations company, and and they've been at least going back to July. That's got married, two kids, running for Senate. They're 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 texting, they're sexting each other. Um, and and these have now 
come out, you know, and I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, and it, it's, it's like, you know, I, I want to get together and kiss you a lot. The only thing I want on my to-do list is you, <laughs> you know, and oh, it's just, man. you know, it's, it's all the, it's all this kind of stuff. And so this is, and this is like when he's running for, it's not even like it's a couple years ago. It's like it's running, it's when he's running for office and he's, he's texting. So th- this was the story over the weekend. And it's now, okay, you're married with two kids and all right, you've, I'm a big family man and I'm a veteran and all this and you, you've got this now okay so that's out there now the same reporter that broke that story just broke in a story that apparently this is the allegation there's another woman different than the one who's being texted who says she's been having an affair with this guy for the last eight years oh, now now i, I and, oh. and, and i want to be clear i i look i i take no position on the morality of any of this stuff but if you're running for u.s senate wouldn't you in today's day and age think about th- this stuff is going to come out mm-hmm, at, mm-hmm. at some point right. in time and and apparently at least the way the story about the 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 active affair that woman apparently didn't know about the gal that he was sexting ah, to and the wife right. didn't know about any I of this see. stuff it's just a mess so okay here's the uh <laughs> there, there's a lesson there here's the here's the uh, president's doctors in the press conference from Walter Reed another dose of remdesivir here today and then we plan to get him home it's been more than 72 hours since his last fever. Oxygen levels, including ambulatory saturations and his work of breathing, are all normal. Though he may not entirely be out of the woods yet, the team and I agree that all our evaluations, and most importantly, his clinical status, support the president's safe return home, where he'll be surrounded by world-class medical care 24-7. I'd like to bring Dr. Dooley up to review some more specifics. Good afternoon. Just a brief update this morning. Uh, as Dr. Connolly mentioned, the president uh, continues to do very well. His vital signs this morning uh, were notable for a temperature of 98.1. His blood pressure was 134 over 78. A respiratory rate of 17 respirations per minute. His heart rate was 68 beats per minute. And his last oxyhemoglobin saturation was 97% on room air. He currently uh, does not endorse any respiratory complaints. And aside from our uh, evaluation with the multidisciplinary team this morning, uh, has maintained a full schedule uh, ambulating and working on the White House medical unit. I'll now turn it over to Dr. Garibaldi to again discuss therapeutics. Thanks. Hi, good afternoon. And again, I just wanted to echo the sentiment of what an honor it is to, to be part of this, this wonderful team here at Walter Reed. Uh, yesterday evening, the president received his third dose of remdesivir. He tolerated that infusion without difficulty, and his kidney and liver function continued to be normal. Our plan is to give the fourth dose of remdesivir this evening before he goes back to the White House, and we've made arrangements to deliver the fifth and final dose of his treatment course at the White House tomorrow evening. He continues on dexamethasone, and again, the plan for today is to continue to be up and out of bed, eat and drink, and and work as he is able. Um, And I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Jason Blaylock, who's an infectious disease specialist and the chief of medicine here at Walter Reed, to give some updates on infection control. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, First of all, I just want to say what an honor it's been to be part of this medical team behind me uh, and to care for the president. Since the president's arrival at Walter Reed, uh, he's received medical management that remains in line with national clinical societal guidelines uh, for treatment of COVID-19 infection. 
In addition, uh, both myself and Dr. Wes Campbell uh, have worked very closely with uh, various uh, laboratories in the area, state-of-the-art facilities to include USAMRID and RARE on uh, obtaining advanced diagnostic testing to really inform the White House medical team of both the status of the president as well as his ability to transmit virus to others. Also, we have worked very closely with the Walter Reed team uh, to ensure that uh, we are looking very closely at infection control prevention strategies and the right posture so that the president can safely return uh, to his residence. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Conley, who uh, will answer any final questions. I mentioned it Saturday, but I'd like to reiterate myself just how grateful the President and I are to the men and women of Walter Reed, our colleagues at Johns Hopkins, as well as the many federal, private institutions that we receive support from. And so long as everything continues on the track that we're, that we're experiencing right now, this time, as the President already tweeted out, is to get him home later today. With that, I'll take a couple questions. Discharged back to the White House when he was given steroids. You've said that he's still on those steroids. Those are medicines, as, as you know, that are usually given to COVID patients who are on ventilators or um, with low oxygen. So, did you over treat him? And if he's still on that medication, how is it safe for him to return to the White House? So we, uh, we send patients home with medications all the time. Uh, he, in fact, yesterday afternoon, he probably met most of his uh, discharge requirements uh, safely from the hospital. Uh, and he's returning to a facility, the White House Medical Unit, that's staffed 24-7, top-notch physicians, nurses, PAs, logisticians, and uh, the unit here, uh, the team here behind me is going to continue to support us in that nature. Yes? What infection control measures are you taking, and how was it safe for him to drive around in a cloth mask yesterday, and how is it safe for him now to return to the White House where there have been so many cases? How is any of this safe? So the... The, the president has been surrounded by medical and security staff for days uh, wearing full PPE. Um, and yesterday, uh, the U.S. Secret Service agents were in that same level of PPE for a very short period of time. Uh, we've worked with our infectious disease experts uh, to make some recommendations for how to keep um, everything safe down at the White House for the president and those around him. Um, we're looking at where he's going to be able to uh, carry out his duties, uh, you know, office space, and, um, and I'll just say that uh, it's in line with everything we've been doing upstairs uh, for, this, for the last several days. Are you, can you tell us, please, on testing, can you tell us when he had his last negative test? Was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? When, do you remember when he had his last negative test? I, I don't want to go backwards. Uh, for people who are around him to I understand. The contact him. tracing, uh, as I understand it, is being done. Uh, I'm not involved with that. Um, so. Why did you begin was with that? Was this uh, something he pushed for? No. So we try to get patients home and out of the hospital uh, as quickly as is safe and reasonable. Every day a patient stays in the hospital unnecessarily is a risk to themselves. Um, and right now there's nothing that's being done upstairs here that we can't safely uh, conduct down uh, home. You said that seven to ten days was a window that you'd be concerned about. I don't think we're there yet. So, do you have concerns about potential worsening or reversal? And what are your plans for addressing that if it were to happen? You're you're absolutely right. 
and that's why uh, we all remain cautiously optimistic um, and on guard uh, because we're in a bit of uncharted territory when it comes to a patient that received the therapies he has so early in the course. Um, so we're looking to this weekend, if we can get through to Monday with him remaining the same or improving better yet, uh, then we will all take that final deep sigh of relief. Um, but as I said, 24-7 world-class medical care surrounding him down there. Uh, we're not going to miss anything that uh, we would have caught up here. He's physically going to be in the White House. And how do, what does that look like? How do you keep him safely quarantined? I wish I could go into that more, um, but, but I just can't. What in dexamethasone treatment? So that has something to do. Yesterday we talked about that, uh, the several little uh, temporary drops in his oxygen. And we had discussed that. Uh, as a team and elected uh, to start it early in case that persisted or worsened. Uh, the potential risks and side effects we all discussed. We looked at the data um, and decided that uh, we'd rather, uh, you know, push ahead on it than hold and risk, uh, you know, the opposite. What about CT scans and chest x-rays? What have you seen them as campaigning? As far as travel goes, um, we'll see mental status can you talk to about whether he has any neurological symptoms does he have any side effects from his medications any fogginess from the virus no i think you've seen the videos uh and now the tweets and you'll see him uh shortly you know uh, he's he's back yeah pneumonia or any inflammation in his lungs at all so we we've done routine standard imaging um i'm just not uh, uh at liberty to discuss Doctor, so you're, so you're actively not telling us what those lung scans show. Okay, so, they're, so. We, we've got an idea. The doctors are saying that he's essentially, at least at this point in time, recovered sufficiently to be able to go back to the White House. There's going to be provisions that are going to be made there. The press is saying, okay, we, we want more medical information. And the doctor's saying, I'm not going to give you much more beyond that, other than the fact that this is what it seems to be. And we think he's he can return safely to the White House. We will continue to monitor his situation. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank, is Serta Pro Painters. Visit them at certapro.com. That's Serta with a C. All right. Well, the, the mayor has, of course, announced that he is in his new budget. He, he's going to be reducing the size of the Milwaukee Police Department by 120 sworn officers. Okay, that's on top of a cut of another like 60 to 80 to 100, you know, last year. So you're going to have substantially fewer police officers on the street. The Fire and Police Commission. And again, if you want to look up the definition of dumpster fire and or hot mess in the dictionary, you will find pictures of the members of the Fire and Police Commission. After unceremoniously dumping one of the best police chiefs they've had in the last several decades, Alfonso Morales, they, they appointed an interim chief. The interim chief has said that he wants no part of being the full-time chief, which tells you something. And so now they're, they're looking for candidates. They, they've only been able to find one candidate from the ranks of the Milwaukee Police Department. And of course, I think most of us had recognized that you're 
you you need that institutional knowledge and that finding somebody from the, the ranks who's come up, who understands the community, that's always preferable to trying to go out and try to bring somebody in from Washington, D.C. or Portland, Oregon or Dallas, Texas or, or whatever. But that's not where the Fire and Police Commission, again, a troubled agency, that's not where they are going. And I think it's very, very clear that what you're seeing is with the candidates that they ended up having to choose from, you're having a lot of candidates, both internal and otherwise, who just recognize that Milwaukee is a dumpster fire when it comes to the way the police department is being run. And that's just a darn shame. It's a darn shame for the people who you know work for the Milwaukee Police Department, and it's a shame for the community that it has come to this particular point. But candidly, if I were a qualified candidate you know, looking to run an urban police department, and I saw the way the bozos on the Fire and Police Commission treated former Chief Morales, my, my response would be, why do I want to get involved in the middle of that poop show? I mean, seriously, why? And I think, you, you know, you, you're seeing that reflected in, in some of the applicants, or, or more importantly, the lack of applicants that they receive for it. But ju- just so we understand what we're talking about, at a time when we're talking about defunding the police or if not eliminating police departments reducing the the number of police officers i i don't know if the mayor and the common council and the fire and police commission they must not be watching the news that's all i i can figure out because crime is not getting better um here's the story from the journal sentinel just over the weekend two people early saturday morning died in separate shootings on Milwaukee's north side, including a 14-year-old girl who was shot in the backseat of a car while out with friends. A 24-year-old woman also died after she was shot by her boyfriend. The 14-year-old girl is the 17th child who died in a homicide in 2020 in Milwaukee County. The shooting comes after a two-week period in which eight children were injured and two were killed by gunfire in the city of Milwaukee between September 12th and the 26th. According to Milwaukee Police, the 14-year-old was with friends in the 3100 block of North 11th Street just before 2 a.m. when the group heard multiple gunshots. Now, again, you you can raise this question, what is a 14-year-old doing on the mean streets of Milwaukee at 7 p.m. at night, much less 2 in the morning? But anyhow, um, teen rushed to the hospital, died of her injuries. I mean, here's the bottom line of all this. At a time when the mayor, the common council, and certain members of the public are calling on fewer resources for the police. It is apparent to me that there is a complete and total disconnect. That, that To call it a disconnect is, is to do a disservice to disconnect. It is a cluelessness as to what is going on in the mean streets of Milwaukee. We don't need fewer cops on the street. We need more cops on the street. And until that attitude changes, and until you have vigorous enforcement, and until you have more of a police presence, these these numbers are going to do nothing but go up. It is staggering how violent the city of Milwaukee has become. And unfortunately, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. This is Jeff Wagner.